Hello and shalom everybody. My name is Julia Jassy and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpack, a division of Open Door Media. Before we get started, if you haven't already, take a second to subscribe to our pod. You will not regret it, I promise. On today's episode, we are sitting down with Representative Alma Hernandez, a state rep from Arizona and an impassioned Jewish advocate. Alma Hernandez is this absolute powerhouse. In the legislature, she's fighting to pass resolutions for Holocaust education. Online, she's fighting this different sort of battle, a voice representing the future of progressive Zionism. Speaking from my own experience, you all should know by now that I am not from Arizona. I've never even been to Arizona. But Alma Hernandez feels sort of like my representative, in a way that's even bigger than politics. She's a Jew in a state that isn't super Jewish. She's a Zionist in a virtual space that feels ostracizing to Zionists. She does all of this boldly and vocally, and that place of strength has emboldened so many of us in our community to be secure in the complexity of our own identities, myself included. In this conversation today, I want to unpack all of that. I want to know what it's like to be a Jewish rep in Arizona, especially coming from a background that is far from any outdated stereotype. I want to know what it's like to be an online advocate with a massive Twitter following, for better or for worse, especially when it comes to online harassment. I am so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Representative Hernandez, wonderful to have you today. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be with you. Awesome. Let's get right into it. I want us to start from the beginning. Can you tell us a bit about where you're from and what your experience was like growing up as a Jewish woman? Yeah. So I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona. Um, It's about... I, I would say it's, I consider it a small town other fo- or a small city. Other folks think it's really big, but I think after traveling so much, I consider it still one of the smaller cities. Um, I have three si- or two siblings. It's three of us in total. Um, my mother is from Mexico and my father's from California. Uh, my mother comes from a family of 13 brothers and sisters. Um, and my father comes from a family of five. So I have a pretty big family. Yeah. Yeah. Growing up, we actually weren't raised any any certain religion. We weren't really raised any with any spiritual upbringing by any means. My father is Catholic and my mom's side of the family, um, they were Mexican Jews who uh, then converted to Catholicism to kind of fit in more in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, growing up, you know, I, I knew that And when I was in high school, I decided that I wanted to go to synagogue. I had a lot of friends who, you know, they belonged to synagogues. I was exposed to it very early on in high school. And I wanted to be a part of like a community. And I felt growing up, since my parents never made us choose one side or the other, they were just like, we support everything you all do. So um, I talked to my parents and they were very supportive. Uh, We ended up finding a small uh, reform synagogue here in town, which we are still members of. And I told my parents, I want to go to services. I want to do what my friends are doing. I want to have my bat mitzvah. (laughs) And I, you know, I ended up going to classes. I was a Hebrew class dropout for like a few years. And then finally I ended up... I ended up uh, learning enough to be able to have my service. Um, I went through the entire process. Um, we, you know, my, my family was very supportive. Like I said, so my parents were like, if you're going to start something, you have to finish it. Um, yeah. So 
it took me a several a, a few years actually and then when i started um undergrad when i was a freshman I ended up having like my entire ceremony. I even had a, a baby naming ceremony. <laughs> um, that's where I got my Hebrew name. And then from there, you know, it took some time. And then I decided a few years later that I that I wanted to have my bat mitzvah. And for me, that was a personal goal and something I really wanted to do to like honor my mom's side of the family. And it, I just felt like it was something that I really wanted to get done. And I was determined to make it happen. It took several years <laughs> because I was always so busy with school and work um, that it was really hard to commit to like going to classes every week. So it took me a while, but I have a very supportive rabbi. And finally, when I was like, I think it was when I was 22. Yeah, I was 22, 23. I decided, okay, I'm ready. I ended up having my, my party. We actually had it at the um, Tucson Jewish History Museum. It's a very small museum. Wow. We had my party there. What was supposed to be like 30 people ended up being like over 250 people. Wow. <laughs> and it was kind of hard to keep the celebration small when it was a really big accomplishment. I always yeah. tell people that's probably the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. Um, not because it wasn't something I wanted to do, but it was very difficult in the sense that, you know, it took a lot of studying. It took a lot, like, I don't know how kids do it or teenagers do it. <laughs> like yeah. that is a commitment and it's so tough. Um, but, you know, I, I'm so glad I was able to do it. I, I felt, you know, having the support of my entire family and knowing that if I ever or when I have children, I want them to also experience that. And I want them to have kind of like a, 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 a some sort of spiritual background and, and something, you know, to do as a family. And I felt like that was something I wanted to get done. And it, it was a great experience and I'm really happy. So yeah, I mean, my involvement and everything started when I was in high school. Um, and now as an elected official, obviously I'm very vocal. I always have been. Yeah. So people that have known me since I was a teenager, you know, it's nothing new. It's always been something that I've been doing. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I mean, I guess I grew, I grew up in a very unconventional, like, there were no guidelines, no, like there was not a set guideline on how our family, you know, did things. And there still isn't, you know, we kind of just do go with the flow and we all support each other. So. Yeah. That's such a beautiful story. And one thing that stands out to me is how much community has influenced a lot of your decision to get involved mm -hmm. in um, elected government and Judaism. And it feels, I mean, to me, I'm not from Arizona. I'm from New York. I live in Florida. I go to school in Chicago, but I feel like you're, a voice not just for the Jewish community in Arizona, but for all of us because of your really public profile talking about Judaism and anti-Semitism. What made you decide to really take on that strong of a, a voice in the public arena? I'll start off by saying, you know, this wasn't something that I woke up and was like, I'm going to start, you know, fighting with anti-Semites every day on Twitter. <laughs> like, like I know that you do too. Um, but yeah. I, it all started really, like I said, I, I started my involvement. I'll be very, very um, honest about this. I started my involvement with the pro-Israel movement when I was in high school. Um, I started with APAC and I, then when I got to college, I was very involved at Hillel. I was an intern and then I ended up being the president of the pro Israel club on campus at the University of Arizona. So for me, it's always been something that I truly cared about. 
And and really something that I, I just, I knew that sometimes it could be very controversial and it having conversations within my circle sometimes it can be very difficult, but I knew that if I didn't do it, um, others, you know, we're going to have an excuse not to do it. <laughs> and it's very easy in our community for people to uh, be afraid and kind of want to take a step back of, uh, in, of being in the, in the light of things because they're, they're afraid of the backlash. They're afraid of being attacked. And, and I, and I totally get that. I think there for valid reasons. There are people who just don't want to have to be doing that or be out in the, in the light that way. But for me, I saw it differently. I said, being that I come from a very unique uh, background, you know, being that I come from a very di uh, diverse community, I felt that it was my duty to say something. And ever since I was in high school and ever since I started college, I was very vocal. Um, as I said, I was a president of the club on campus. Of course, I was very, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very much involved. Um, so for me, it wasn't a matter of like, when are you going to start, you know, being like more vocal, using your platform to say things. It was really a matter of like, when I run for office, I'm going to make this a priority because there are a lot of elected officials who, by the way, are Jewish and, and really aren't as vocal or supportive of some of the issues that we're working on. So I made it a point before I ran for office, I said, people have always known me as like the loud activist, like the one yeah. who was constantly doing things, the one who's constantly going to rallies and doing events. And, you know, I'm very big on social justice. And for me, this is about social justice, um, you know, fighting against folks who hate me, not just because I'm Latina, but also because I'm Jewish, um, is really something that I that I take very seriously. And when I decided to run for office in 2018, um, David Duke, um, who I'm sure many listening to this know who it is, and if they don't, I would suggest you look him up. Unfortunately, he's he's uh, he has a platform and many followers, and he found out that I was running for office here in Arizona, had his trolls go after me for a while. I actually had to shut my social media down for a, for a minute there uh, because it got so nasty. Um, and that really just showed me that was, you know, a few years ago, three years ago. And it just showed me if people are acting this way towards me now and they don't even know anything about me besides the fact that it's been very evident that the news has reported, you know, that I'm both uh, Latina and Jewish and, and that's why they hate me. Um, then, then there really is a problem with society. And that's when I, you know, I, I, I decided from here on out, I will never allow anyone to make me feel less than, or make me feel that I'm not relevant or good enough to say anything because of my background. So I, I won't lie. It was difficult. And I think it still is. And I'm sure that you probably experience this too, <laughs> no matter how yeah. strong we are as women, yeah. especially sometimes some of these comments can really hurt. And, yeah. and for me, at least, you know, I, I'm kind of, it's unfortunate, but I'm used to it now. Um, it's been so many years of this and I feel that they only make me stronger now. At the beginning, I used to re be really upset. I used to call my mom crying. I mean, the comments that I've received over the years, I'm just like, if I could, you know, make a, a book and just print off all of these yeah. nasty comments, uh, people would just not believe some of the things that people have said, but everywhere from, you know, judging how big my nose is to like all of these things is just, it, it, it's absurd how people can use these things and hate someone for it. Right. Um, so for me, yeah. it's just, you know, it's been a whole process. I've kind of learned to just I guess, just go on and deal with things. But 
I always feel that it's really important after talking to so many students, so many teenagers who obviously I can see myself in their shoes. You know, I, I see them yeah. and I'm like, oh my goodness, that was me a few years ago who have reached out and said, you know, they don't feel safe on campus or they just are really scared to be, you know, out and Jewish. And they're like, what do I do? What do you suggest? You know, how did you do this? And I'm like, it was a little different a few years ago. Now I feel that people are very yeah. emboldened and we have a lot of keyboard activists that I like to call who constantly yeah. are trolling and really coming after us. But as an elected official, unfortunately on my end, I, I get an extra amount of, of that hate. Yeah. And I think part of that is because my life is so public. Everything I do is very public. You know, anything I say, regardless of how I say it, it will be completely distorted most of the time. Yeah. Um, assumptions are made constantly. And I like to remind people, you know, we, we get a very small amount of characters when we're writing on Twitter and on Facebook, you don't want to write novels. So it's anything you say, you have to be really careful in how you say it. Um, so crafting the message sometimes can be very difficult when you're very passionate and you have so much to say and you want to respond, but you're like, well, you can't say this. You have to be careful. So it's definitely been uh, a struggle, I will say. <laughs> yeah, that's something I can definitely relate to. It's it's no joke and it tends to really affect women because they see us as this even greater threat, especially people who, like you said, like David Duke, who see our identities as this thing that they don't want to see being powerful. And so I think, especially as a woman in government, that's that's a, unfortunately a, a common situation. Um, and it's interesting because you mentioned that your consistent passion for social justice drove a lot of your work toward fighting anti-Semitism and talking about Israel um, and being an activist on that front. How have you seen those things connect in your career in government? How have you seen these issues come together um, and empower one another? You know, my involvement, again, started when I was in high school. And I, at the beginning, I'm not going to lie to you, I was that loud activist who was like all or nothing type. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's so many folks who are like that now. Um, but as I got a little older and as I got elected, I realized that that is not the most effective for a cause. And you have to be willing to work with people, even if you don't agree with them, you know, 90% of the time, if you can find common ground on an issue, you have to be willing to compromise. You have to be willing to hear people out. We all have very different lived experiences. And I think at the end of the day, um, the way I feel about certain things sometimes is, is a little different because of my lived experiences, but we should also be open to hearing what others have to say and not just quickly jump and judge them based on how, how they see things. Because again, we all have very different backgrounds. We come from very different communities. So I try my best now as an elected, I wasn't as good about it when I was younger and, and I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, I feel a little bad sometimes because I'm like, well, if I would have just, you know, listened to that person and just let them talk. But, um, back then I wasn't as, as I would say effective as I am now. So back then, you know, yes, I was very passionate and I still am very passionate, but I was very loud and you know, I wanted everything that I was, you know, wanting to get and it was all or nothing. Like I wanted the whole the whole pie and I didn't want just a piece. And now as an elected official, things are very different. You know, I, I serve in a Republican led state where I'm in the mi minority. So being in the minority has really taught me two things. One, if you want to get anything done, you have to be willing to talk to people. Um, and two, there has to be compromise. So yeah. 
you know, whether it's been running my anti-Semitism legislation or whether it's been my Holocaust education bill, for me, those were so issues that are so important that I don't care where you are on the political spectrum. Those to me were so important that I was willing to put, you know, my other issues aside to make sure that we pass these these pieces of legislation. My anti-Semitism bill did not pass and I didn't run it again this year, but it was mainly because I really wanted to run my Holocaust education bill and get it done finally after three years. So I wanted to focus on one bill because it's so much work. And again, being in the minority, it's so hard to even get any bill hearings. Um, and the fact that I was able to have uh, two bills signed by the governor this year, I think shows that I'm willing to work with people. And as a Democrat, as someone in the minority, you know, bringing the issues that truly affect our community and that we really care about up, up and bringing them with me and saying, these are the issues that I'm going to fight for is really important. So, you know, back then things were a little different. Now they are definitely, I tell people, you know, in the real world of politics, <laughs> um, it's a little <laughs> different than when, you know, you're on student in student government or doing things yeah. on, on student on a, on a university campus. So I, you know, it, it's definitely been um, a change for me and something that I've learned over the years. It's it's not been easy. It's not been an easy transition, that's for sure. Because again, I, I feel that you, I came in with a very different view, um, all or nothing. And I will credit, you know, uh, I like to tell folks all the time is I do credit APAC with, you know, teaching me early on when I was younger that it's okay to disagree with people on other issues. But when it comes to things like Israel um, and issues of the Jewish community, those are bipartisan issues. And regardless of how you feel about other issues, um, if that's the main goal and that's what we want to work on, and in order to achieve it, you have to be willing to compromise and work with people. And that's something that took me some time to figure out. But over the years, I, I think I've done a pretty good job about it. Yeah. And just so our listeners understand, because I think even for me, this is something that I'm not an elected official and it's, it's all mm -hmm. new kind of understanding. So what was the process of getting this Holocaust education bill passed? What does it mean? Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very, like, a, a one minute synopsis of what it right. really took for you to get this Holocaust you know what's, bill passed. You know what's funny is I actually teach, I teach at the university at Arizona State University. I'm a professor there. I teach health policy and I run a program, a uh, health policy academy. So I teach like legislative 101 to anyone. So yeah, I'll give you a quick overview of how this works. Basically, Professor what, Alma Hernandez right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll keep it short. I'll keep it brief here. Yeah. But uh, what, what ended up happening was I had members in the community who were working with Holocaust survivors. Yeah. By the way, before I ran for office, I used to work at the Jewish Federation. Um, I was the Jewish JCRC, Jewish Community Relations Council, sorry, it's very long, um, coordinator here in Southern <laughs> Arizona. Um, yeah. And I worked very closely with the Holocaust survivors here in Southern Arizona. And then um, the, we have a Holocaust survivor group that's very active in Phoenix. So um, they got together and they said they got together with other folks in the community and um, they wanted they came to they came to me and said, this is a bill we want to run. And I was like, OK, great. Sounds very easy to do. Like Holocaust education. How difficult could that be? Uh, so when we ran the bill the first time we had, you know, unanimous support on both sides, everyone was on board. We went back and forth with um, the majority to make sure that the language fit kind of what they were willing to support. We finally compromised and we got language that, that they were okay with. And then um, 
we ended up, so I submitted the bill, had co-signers. We had just about everyone sign on. I think we only had like four people that didn't sign on the first time. And it was because they weren't at the Capitol. So it wasn't that they didn't support it. It had unanimous support. Um, I dropped the bill. Um, it was it was uh, sent over to the education committee. Um, so the majority will choose what committees the bills will go to. It was it was referred over to the education committee. We had a bill hearing. I had survivors from two, from my community come speak. Survivors from Phoenix go speak. So it was a really great uh, time because we had these survivors who were there to share their stories and kind of explain why Holocaust education is so important in Arizona and you know all over the country, but mainly here because that's where our bill was. Um, they testified in committee. Then the bill was um, sent over to the rules committee. After it got approved, it was sent over to the Senate. So when it got to the Senate, it goes basically through the same process that it goes through the House, it goes through committee hearings. We had survivors come in and testify again. And then after that, uh, the bill was supposed to go up for a vote. Um, in that, the same way that we voted it out of the chamber, we were supposed to vote, at, vote it out in the Senate to send it, transmit it over to the governor's desk. Um, well, that was supposed to happen, um, but it didn't. It took some time and the bill ended up not moving for a vote, um, for a full vote in the Senate for political reasons. Um, and we were like, okay, well, it's too late now because session has ended. So I talked to the survivors. We decided to run the bill again. So the second time uh, we ran the bill and again, we had all the support. It was a following the following legislative session. We had all of the support. And when it came to doing the whole process again, doing committee hearings, passing it over to the Senate, we did that. And then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, no legislation, regardless of what the issue was, that had nothing to do with um, public health or the, or the pandemic, uh, was put up for a vote. So essentially, my bill died again. So that was year two. <laughs> and of course, survivors at that point were devastated because by that point, we had had three survivors pass away um, who were involved in the process. So it was really difficult yeah. for me because they had to come to testify. They were so committed to making this possible. And they've literally committed their lives to teaching the Holocaust in schools in Arizona. Wow. So when they started, you know, pass, we had a few that passed away. And for me, that was really difficult. And I said, oh, my goodness, we have to get this done. So we ended up running the bill again. <laughs> and again, through the whole process, through the education wow. committee, we had two. At that point, we only were able to get two survivors come testify because it's so difficult, first of all, to schlep them all up here. It's a two hour drive and then it's a, such a long day. So we only had two that were able to be with us. Um, and it, it was still a very special thing. So many of the legislators had already heard from them. You know, it was just going through the, whole, the motions again of doing this. Um, well, this past year, um, it hit a few bumps in the road, mainly because we had a member in the majority who refused to let my bill go up for a vote unless I included my old language of my anti-Semitism bill into this bill. Mm -hmm. So I think there's been a lot of confusion and I've had a lot of folks on social media ask and because people don't really know the process or how this works, yeah. they've made a lot of assumptions. Uh, but I did run the first original anti-Semitism bill, which included the IRA definition, which I fully oh. support and very much believe in. Um, I wouldn't have ran the legislation as a sponsor if I didn't believe in it. Um, but yeah. there was an effort on the Republican side to make it seem that I did not um, support it or or want to include it. And that was not at all the case. The issue here was we've had several survivors die already. 
Um, the survivor associations, both in Phoenix and Tucson, said, we want to keep this a very clean bill that just is strictly Holocaust education so that the Department of Education can make sure that it's being taught. And we want it to be fully bipartisan. Well, we know, and I'm sure you know, including the IRA definition into this would not make it completely bipartisan because yeah, both unfortunately sides. Unfortunately not. Unfortunately yeah. not. But um, the other issue is people assume it's just the Democrats <laughs> that would be against it. But no, it's actually on both sides. And this is an yeah. issue we faced early on, which is why I ran the bill separately. So yeah. I know there's been some confusion. I hope that clarifies it's the survivors wanted the bill to be clean, have full bipartisan support, not have any issues, people having to get up there and debate on, on Israel when it, it, this was strictly to talk about Holocaust education. So um, with that being said, you know, we finally were able to negotiate um, and the member eventually, he's still not happy and that's fine. It was my bill, my original bill to begin with. And I knew what I was yeah. doing because that's what the community wanted us to do. You know, when you have every Jewish organization in the state and, and nationally saying, yeah. please keep this separate. And you even have Kufi, which is not a Jewish organization, but they're very pro-Israel, um, saying, we'll help you guys pass the bill at a later time, but let's, let's get done with Holocaust education. I think that says something, right? It's not just yeah, sure. me not wanting to do it. It's literally the entire community and the survivors asking us to get it done quickly and get it done now. So yeah. with that, um, I hope that kind of it gives people a background, uh, an explanation, a quick overview of how that works. But we were finally able to get it for a vote. It was on the on the very last day. So the survivors were already mentally preparing themselves for the bill failing once again. And yeah. we were I think we were third to last bill before we sign. We did sign a die motion, which means that it literally was on the very last day when we closed session out when the bill was voted out. Once it was voted out, it was quickly transmitted to the governor's desk. He signed it. We're actually having a ceremonial signing uh, with the survivors on August 3rd. So I'm really happy about that. Incredible. Yeah, so That's after so, so long, yeah, thanks. <laughs> after so long, after so many political fights, we were able to finally get it done. And I, and I feel that if I can't get any other bills done <laughs> in the minority, having that one bill that I truly care about and that, you know, was so important and special to me, having it finally done means a lot. So um, it, it's been, again, a process. It's not easy when you want to run legislation, yeah. but when you're committed and you know that it's something you truly want to get done, you can get it done. You just have to be really persistent. <laughs> and I think the survivors yeah. were so gracious and so patient with this entire process and like i said we had a few a few who passed away and weren't able to be here with us but i know that they would be very proud knowing that it finally got done that's such an incredible story and it really shows how difficult it is to get things passed but when there is that persistence and that community effort that it can happen just for a bit of context for our listeners, the IRA definition of anti-Semitism, International Holocaust Remembrance Association, really maps out how criticism of Israel differs from anti-Semitism and what that really looks like. So it talks about how anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism can intersect and do intersect. And because of that, it often becomes a little bit more contentious. Although, I mean, I'm a fan of it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners yeah. are, but it's it's definitely one of those. And me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, believe me, I, I ran the bill the first time because I, I truly believe, I, I mean, I, I totally believe in the, in the definition. And I think yeah, yeah. 
I think it's so important for us to to talk about it. And yes, it might create some issues on both sides of the aisle. But at the end of the day, it is something that I truly care about. And it is something that I've supported for years. It's not something that was just like, oh, I'm going to run this piece of legislation. No, this was something that I've been working on. I mean, I've been literally fighting BDS issues and any any anti-Semitism on campus for years. You know, this isn't something that I just became passionate overnight. It's It's literally been like 10, 11 years of work that I've been doing on this. So I, I truly care about it. It just was not the right time to include it in that bill. Because again, it, it went through so many, oh my goodness, I, the amount of times I cried and I'm not a crier. Like I usually am pretty tough and I'm like, I don't care, like moving yeah. on, I don't care. <laughs> but I cried so much when oh from the beginning of this bill until it was done. Honestly, the day that it finally got done, I I was crying because I was excited, but I was crying because I was angry that it took so long. And I was I was mainly frustrated because we had survivors who literally came to testify who passed away. And I felt like I had failed them in a way. Um, But yeah, so it was very emotional. I've never really cried as much as I did. And I ugly cried. It wasn't like, like, you know, little tears. It was, it was nasty, ugly crying. And I'm just so glad. Honestly, I remember, oh yeah. I remember calling my mom and I was like, in Spanish, finally, like it finally got to, she was like, okay, we need to have a party. My mom always trying to have parties for everything, (laughs) but she wanted to have a party for this because she knows how important it was to me and how much effort and time we put into this. I mean, the amount of calls that we had to be on, amount of Zooms and, and meetings with different associations and organizations all over, I mean, I even reached out to folks at Yad Vashem and I'm like, I need help. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't yeah. something, it, it was a community effort and it was led by the community. You know, it was led by the survivors. Tell you one quick thing. I had Miss Dalgoff, who is a former elementary school teacher of mine, who was one of the first ones to teach me, you know, about her story in the Holocaust when I was, I believe I was in second grade. Um, I never forgot her story. I never forgot about her. And then as an adult, you know, we, we, we reconnected and it was so important to me. She came to testify and being someone that has seen me grow up, you know, she's known me since I was in second grade to hear her come in and testify in support of a piece of legislation that I was running on her behalf was so special. And I'll never forget that moment. You know, I, the fact that she was able to be there and share her story and you know support something that i was working on was just beyond amazing and i'm really proud of that so yeah <laughs> so i'm glad it's finally so, done <laughs> it took yeah, so much time full circle moment oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. it seems like throughout all of the work that you've been doing so far in your time as an elected official it's taken this tremendous amount of perseverance even when you were running for office having to deal with the tremendous amount of anti-semitism that you had to had to face and you mentioned something earlier on in the conversation i thought was really really interesting so you said that your experience facing anti-Semitism as a Jewish woman, also as a Latina Jewish woman, has been so significant. Can you talk a bit about how that has affected you in your career and how it's also motivated you to work even harder to get these bills passed? Yeah. So as far as affecting me, like I said, I've had to grow really tough skin over the years. (laughs) Once you get into politics, it's like fair game. (laughs) You are out in the line and it's really hard to to step away from that. But um, as far as uh, dealing with anti-Semitism, I mean, I've had to deal with anti-Semitism within my own legislative body. I mean, you know, having colleagues that have made 
horrendous comments. Um, really? Being in, I, I serve on the Health and Human Services Committee. Um, two years ago, I, I so my background's in public health. Um, you know, I have my master's in public health, and I teach health policy at the university. And I'm very much about public health. And you know, I, I even did further training at Johns Hopkins in epidemiology and biostats. Wow. And for me, you know, the pandemic hit and yeah. it, it was like oh my goodness my degrees are finally relevant to life <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because people at the beginning used to say like what is public health you know so when that when that ha well, before that being on the health committee i've always been very passionate about vaccines and making sure that yeah. we have these available to all communities um i've traveled to third world countries and i've seen what happens when people don't have access right so yeah. for me um, I wanted to run legislation and I did. I ran legislation that would ensure that kids in public schools were vaccinated. Um, a lot of it had to do with like herd immunity and I, you know, I'm not going to get into all of it, all the details, but being in a, in a committee I, hearing. My public health classes are coming in strong here. <laughs> well, yeah, right. If you need any help ever, please call me. Um, I love you. public health. But what ended up <laughs> happening was uh, it turned into like a campaign against me, um, mainly because I was wow. Jewish. And it drove really? me absolutely insane. I said, wait, what? Like, how does... Like, I, I don't how understand. That, how did that make the switch? Wow. Yeah. So what they tried doing was they brought in national groups who are like the anti-vax groups come in to testify to our committee. It turned into like an eight-hour committee hearing. People wow. basically calling me a Nazi and saying I was trying to start a Holocaust. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. Um, people That's coming in saying, wow. yes, people saying that I was trying to inject um uh what were they saying sorry there were so many things that were said but one of them was like i was yeah. trying to inject pig inside of children and that how would how was my jewish background like they tried connecting everything to judaism and it just drove me crazy because i'm like here i am as a as a health public health professional trying to improve our community and making sure that kids are safe in schools and it's being turned into a campaign of like this Jewish person is trying to start a Holocaust. And I just couldn't believe wow. it. And this was, you know, when I first got elected. So yeah, there's been some situations I've been in where uh, it, I'm going to be honest, it's been very difficult to navigate because yeah. I had a lot to say. <laughs> and I was very angry, but I didn't let the anger, you know, take over and let it get the best of me. But I've had to learn over the years to overcome that. Yeah. And, you know, yes, there were people that came in and called me a Nazi and said terrible things. And the people in the committee just kind of stood there or sat there and let it happen. Um, and that's what kind of hurt me the most, I think, is having colleagues that were okay with that being done um, was so frustrating. You know, part of the reason that me and my brother um, led a legislative trip to Israel two years ago um, was because we wanted elected officials in Arizona to know and actually see for themselves rather than just hear and kind of give their opinion based on what they're reading on a tweet or, you know, what they're yeah. hearing on the news. And we did that. We were able to get uh, 16 legislators, which is a pretty significant amount. There's 90 yeah. of us total. So 16 of us to go was a bipartisan group. And part of the reason was because over the years, we've heard so many of my colleagues made, make comments that are very anti-Semitic and that are borderline anti-Semitic. So that was part of our way to kind of combat that and say like, 
let's, let's all get to know each other. Let's bring you to a place that you've never been so that you can actually for yourself, see what it really is like. Uh, so that's what we worked on. Um, so I've kind of turned in all these negative <laughs> experiences into positives. I think, you know, trying to make sure that I'm bringing people together, having difficult conversations and, and being open to, to kind of hearing others, people's per, other people's perspectives as well. Um, you know, I know I'm not always right and I I'd love to be, but I know that I don't know everything. Right. <laughs> and, and in politics, you have to be okay with knowing that. You have to be okay knowing that you don't know everything. You're not an expert on every issue, but those issues that you do care about and you're passionate about and that you feel that you do have some level of expertise, you should be able to use those to educate people. And and that's what I've tried to do over the years is like, you know, yes, I have folks that will reach out and, and um, say, I'd like to have a meeting with you. And um, we want to know more about, you know, why you feel this way about Israel or why you feel about this. And I'm very happy to have those conversations with people. I think that's part of my job is to explain and have these conversations with folks. So, you know, over the years, yes, being in politics has, anti-Semitism has definitely been uh, involved somehow in my work, um, unfortunately, but I've never let it stop me from doing what I'm doing. And if anything, I think it's helped me kind of overcome a lot of these issues. And it's helped me, it's served, honestly, dealing with this, especially at work, has helped me educate others that I didn't know felt that way, or I didn't know thought that way. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's been been an interesting experience, because yes, there, there are times that things have been said that are horrible. And um, I'm, I'm happy that I'm hearing them so that I can try and correct them. Uh, because I also think there's a lack of understanding and just really the pure ignorance from some folks who just don't realize that by making comments about someone like, oh, all Jews are rich people, they all have the money, which that is absolutely not true. I worked at Federation. Yeah, Yeah, I worked at Federation. And we had many families who were needy families who needed assistance who, you know, it's just this whole notion of like, Jews control everything. Jews are the wealthy ones. And it's just so frustrating because, you know, my, my mom's family from Mexico was not, did not grow up in privilege. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't grow up in privilege. Everything I have, I've worked really hard to get. Thankfully, you know, I have amazing parents who have provided um, everything they could. But at the end of the day, I think we have to push back against those statements because they do hurt all of us. And it, it's important for me in my position as an elected official to call it out when when it's going on. Yeah. The majority of what I'm getting from a lot of what you said today is this tremendous amount of perseverance. Um, and that really brings us to our last question. You are a really strong woman in government doing a job that we didn't have access to a couple of, of generations ago. So what we really want this podcast to be for all of our listeners is access to advice, access to guidance and mentorship, especially for Jewish women, young Jewish women who are listening to this and looking up to you and the other incredible guests you've had on this podcast so far. What's one piece of advice about your experience navigating the world as a Jewish woman that you'd want everyone else to to learn from? Well, first of all, I want everyone to know that's listening to this, regardless of their age, to know that we have amazing women and leaders who have been on the front line and have been working on these issues, you know, for years now. And especially you, you know, you're very active. You're someone that people can look up to. You're still in school. So I think that's really important because there are so many students right now that feel alone and that feel that they're the only ones and don't know where to go, don't know who to turn to. So I just want to say, you know, thank you for everything that you do, 
<laughs> to make to make it possible for all of us to continue the work that we're doing because we can't do it alone. And you know, I see you, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that was me when I was in college. Yeah, <laughs> you know, your story I, felt so relatable to me because uh, your college experience sounds so much like mine. Yeah. Yes, and and I appreciate you know keep fighting the good fight. And so, with that being said, it is important for people to know that there are so many of us who are willing to have these conversations. You know, I have every time I I speak to students and I and I go and um, meet with different groups on campuses, I always give them my phone number and. I'm on social media on not so much on Facebook. I guess I am a little, but not really um, yeah. like Instagram and Twitter. I'm very active. People reach out to me all the time, regardless of age, they'll write to me and they have questions and I'm always happy to answer them. For the most part, I get, you know, I get back to people pretty quickly, um, but I'm very accessible when it comes to that. And I would just want people to know that it is very um, important for me to, to hear from people. So when people have questions, they're more than welcome to reach out. They're more than welcome to ask anything they want. But above all, I want them to know that they're not alone and that this definitely is a struggle. And it's not something that's going to, you know, be fixed overnight. I think if, if that was the case, then a lot of the organizations that we're all a part of would no longer exist <laughs> because all our issues would be solved. And and I just don't see that happening. Um, but it, it is important for people to know that regardless of what they're passionate about, what issue they're working on, they have other people there to support them and, and do the work with them. They're not alone and they shouldn't have to feel that they're the only ones and, and the only ones that are dealing with this because they're certainly not. And like I said, my experience in college was probably different from most people because I was on a campus that was very accepting of the Jewish community. We built great relationships with, with our student body government. And we, we continue to have those conversations with people, even if we didn't agree with them. So, you know, for me, I just want people to know, don't ever let anyone make you feel less than. I think that's one of the lessons that I've learned over these years is regardless of how you feel or what, what experiences you have, you are important. And you are an important person for this fight and we can't do it without you. So I don't want people to feel discouraged and I don't want people to feel that they're not good enough. And I don't. I certainly don't want people to feel that because they're, they don't feel that they're experts on the issue that they can't speak about it. Because I have so many friends that will reach out and they're like, you know, I'm not like I have. I've never taken a class or I've never, you know, um, done all of these things that you have. And I'm like, it doesn't matter if you're passionate about something. You should be able to, you know, share your passion with others. And you don't have to feel that because you're not an expert and you can't quote, you know, a citation in a book that you don't know what you're talking about. Like you should be able to express yourself and have these conversations. And that's how you learn is having these conversations. So I guess overall to close it out, I would say, you know, don't ever let anyone make you feel less than what you are because you, the only person that can stop you is yourself. And I've learned that over the years and it's not been easy, but I am here for anyone that ever wants to talk. <laughs> um, and I know that you are there for others as well. Absolutely. Representative Hernandez, it's been so wonderful to talk to you. I feel like it's been just great to hear your experience because it's so relatable to myself and so many other young Jewish people right now. So thank you for all of the incredible work that you do. Um, and we we are so grateful to have had you on the podcast here. Thank you so of much. Of course. It was great being with you today. Thank you. So I really loved this conversation. I say that a lot, but I really love all of these conversations. Alma's story is both unique and totally not unique at all. Hear me out here for a second. Alma has this really distinct identity as a crypto Jew, as a Jewish woman from a family that was forced to hide their Judaism for generations. 
Their connection to Judaism is the product of an enduring intergenerational faith, of strength in an identity that was quite literally stolen from so many people. She is a strong Jewish woman today because it's in her blood, yes. She's a strong Jewish woman today because her soul was at Sinai with the rest of ours, absolutely. Most inspiring though, she's a strong Jewish woman today because she fought to be one. Being a Jewish person means having a family history that is, let's just say, unconventional. Whether you come from shtetls in Europe or Dimitude in the Middle East, or in my case, both, our families have all been through so much trauma. And nonetheless, we survive as a community because of the strength we feel as individuals. Alma Hernandez's story is an incredible example of the strength. She is so much more than a nice Jewish girl. She is both the product of her family's resilience and the continuation of it, as we all are. And this, my friends, is where we will leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls. Hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. I would love, love, love to hear your feedback and suggestions for other nice Jewish girls to host on this pod. Email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com and join us next week when we'll be speaking with Haley Seufer, the CEO of Jewish Dems. Nice Jewish Girls is a product of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivki Stearns, our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jasky. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related and subscribe to our other podcasts. I want to take a moment and specifically recommend Unpacking Israeli History, where every episode my colleague Noam does a deep dive into a different event in Israeli history. I love it because it's this really nuanced, honest portrait of stories about a messy and amazing place. Check it out and let me know what you think. Nice Jewish Girls is a production of Unpack, a division of Open Door Media. Rivki Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Dasky. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related and subscribe to our other podcasts. I want to take a moment and specifically recommend Unpacking Israeli History, where every episode my colleague Noam does a deep dive into a different event in Israeli history. I love it because it's really nuanced and honest portrait of stories about a messy and amazing place. Check it out and let me know what you think. And follow Unpacked at all of the social media places like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Impact. Talk to you later, ladies.